Thank you for listening to City Church Podcast. We hope you find this message helpful. And at the same time, it is important to us that you know podcasts should not be a substitute for the flesh and blood people of the church. Church is more than sermons. If you aren't a part of a local church, we would love to help you find one in your area. Please don't hesitate to email us at sermons at borocitychurch.com. That's sermons at borocitychurch.com. We would be happy to help. Thank you for listening. Good morning. How y'all doing? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Micah. I need some more response. Okay, good morning. Okay, now y'all are alive. I see that you're here. All right, so for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Tracy Bowler, and I am the uh, youth minister here at City Church. And if you don't know me, then you probably don't know how I would answer the question, what is the greatest cartoon show of all time? Well, if you ask me, what's, what's the greatest cartoon show of all time? Well, the greatest cartoon show of all time? Thank you, Jacob. There's only one answer to that question, and it is SpongeBob SquarePants, okay? Woo! SpongeBob SquarePants is by far the greatest cartoon show ever. And if you agree with that, meet me after the sermon. We have officially become best friends, okay? As I was going through today's sermon, I, 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 I was reminded of an episode from Spongebob, and it's called Tea at the Tree Dome. Now, in this episode, you have Spongebob. He's a sponge. He lives in a pineapple under the sea, okay? And he meets this squirrel, a squirrel by the name of Sandy. Now, they're under the sea, so Sandy has kind of like this this astronaut suit with like a bowl on her head so she can breathe, right, because squirrels need air. And so Spongebob meets Sandy, and they instantly connect over their love for karate, or as Spongebob says, karate, okay? (laughs) They meet each other, they bond over their love for karate, and then Sandy mentions the fact that she needs to breathe air, and Spongebob has no idea what air is, but he acts like he does. He says, air? Oh yeah, air is great. I love air. Me and air go way back, right? He he acts as if he knows what air is, and Sandy's kind of taken aback. She's like, really? Oh, okay, well, in that case, come on over to my tree dome, and we can have tea together. So, of course, Spongebob comes over to the tree dome. And as soon as he walks into that tree dome, he's, he realizes, oh, shoot, I can't breathe here. I can't live in this air. I, I need water. But now Spongebob's a cool guy and he doesn't want to seem lame. So he acts as if he's all right. And as Sandy's showing him around the tree dome, whenever he sees water, he tries to run to it, get a little sip, you know, flip flop around in it, get some water. And then he runs back. Right. He doesn't want to seem lame. And eventually they come to this table. And at this table, Sandy brings some flowers in this vase and his ice cold water. And he's sitting there and he's looking at it. And then he tells himself, he's like, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. But then he breaks. He says, I need it. And he drinks it. And then now he's trying to break out of the dome to get back into the water. But his friend Patrick brings him inside. He's like, no, we can't give up, SpongeBob. And then he realizes, oh, shoot, we need to get out. Right. And then all of a sudden he's, he's basically dehydrating. Right. And then Sandy comes up at the end of the episode and she's like, dang, I guess they need some water. So she grabs some fish bowls, puts them on their heads, fills them up with water, and then they're good to go. The thing that is interesting about this episode and the thing that that stands out to me is that I think that we're a lot like SpongeBob. We're a lot like SpongeBob because we often don't recognize our need for something until it hits us in the face. We don't recognize our need for something until it's brought to our attention. And even then, even once that need is brought to us, oftentimes 
We try to deny it. We say, no, I don't need that. I don't need it. But my hope for us today is that we will recognize our need for something. And instead of denying it and pushing that away, my hope is that we will seek for that need to be met. Okay, so today we'll be in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, as we continue through our Passion series. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we actually give those away for free back there in that corner. Uh, And we would love for you to take one and not just read it here, but to take it home throughout the week and dive into God's word. Uh, Here at City Church, we believe uh, one of the main ways to to grow in your relationship with God, to know him, is to know him through the way that he revealed himself. And that is through the word. So please take a Bible, take it home and read it more often than just here at church. But if you don't have one, that's fine, because the words will be on the screen behind me. So Luke 24, uh, beginning in verse one, this is what it says. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away uh, from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went away amazed at what had happened. And that is the word of the Lord from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. This morning, I have two points, but it's really one sentence that we're just breaking in half. Okay, so the first point this morning, the first part of that sentence is don't look for the living among the dead. Don't look for the living among the dead. Let's go back into our scripture, verses one through four. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. Now, these two men in dazzling clothes. Look, I don't know about y'all, but when I read dazzling clothes, for some reason in my head, I just, I just uh, hear the phrase, fabulous. I don't know where I got that from or what that's from, but that's just what comes into my head. That doesn't really matter. I just wanted y'all to know a little bit more about me. These, these men are fabulous, okay? <laughs> these two men in dazzling clothes are angels, Okay, and even though it doesn't explicitly say that right here, Luke goes on to write this in verse 23. And then we also have uh, Matthew's account of this in the book of Matthew. And he says there was angels as well. And, and, and but what I want us to see, what I want us to pay attention to is the way the women respond to these angels. Look at verse five. Verse five says, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Now, let's think about the context here. If you were here last week. Then you heard Trevor, and, you, and you, you probably know what LLL means. Does anybody remember? 
Luke loves the ladies, okay? Luke loves the ladies. And that's not to be confused with LL Cool J, who is ladies love Cool James, okay? No, that's not it. It's, it's Luke loves the ladies. And what do we mean by that? Uh, what, what we're saying is that, is that Luke specifically makes a point, right? He specifically makes a point in his gospel account to portray women. Now, remember, in this society, in this context, women are considered second-class citizens, but Luke makes a point in his gospel account to portray them in a positive light. In other words, what Luke is doing here is he's telling us to look, watch, pay attention to these women, learn from them, right? So what do they do? They bow to the ground, now, when Luke writes that somebody bows to the ground or, or that their, their face goes to the ground, he writes it a couple times in Luke and he also writes it in Acts. And when he writes this, he writes it as them doing this out of reverence, them doing this out of, out of recognizing the other person's holiness, their, their otherness, their, their set-apartness, which it makes me ask the question, how often am I in awe and in reverence of God? How often am I, am I brought to my knees in, in, in light of seeing who God is in comparison to me? How often do I revere God? And, and, and am I not in reverence of God because I'm wrapped up in my own identity, in my own world, and being wrapped up in those things, God begins to lose his holiness in my eyes. I think it is a question that we, that we need to think about, that we need to spend time diving into. Now, we don't have time to dive into it today, but that's what community group is for. If you're not in a community group, we'd love for you to be in a community group and for community groups this week to talk about that. Do I revere God? How often am I in awe and in reverence of God? Yeah. I think it's food for thought. All right. Verses five through six. Let's keep reading. So the women uh, were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And then the angels speak to them and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Now, when these angels ask, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's not like you idiots. You're so stupid. What are you doing here? It's more positive than that. Right. The emphasis here is on the fact that he's risen. Right. Jesus is risen. He's not here, guys. He's not here. Don't look for the living among the dead. He's risen. Don't you remember what he told you when, you, when, he, when he all were in Galilee? Don't you remember? And yet, even though Jesus told them, right, Jesus consistently told them, look, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but then I'm going to rise again. Even though he consistently told them that, they were still looking for the living among the dead. And we're no different. From birth we are looking for the living among the dead because from birth, we're all sinners. And when we think about what sin is, sin is looking for the living among the dead. I think about Romans 3.23, right? In Romans 3.23, it says that we have all sinned, that we have all fallen short of God's glory. And because we've all sinned, we're all looking for the living among the dead. You see, the question is, the question is, do we realize that? Do we realize that we are looking for the living among the dead? Do we believe that? Do you recognize that you're weak? Do you recognize that you're lost and in need of a savior? Do you recognize that you're sick and in need of healing? Is that something that we recognize? And if you do, if your answer to that question is yes, then the answer to this, to this next question is of utmost importance. 
Where do you find your strength? Where do you find your healing? What do you think will save you? What do you place your hope in? And if your answer to that is of anything in the world or is in the world, then you are seeking the living among the dead. I think about 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And at the end of 1 John, uh, or in verse 17, it says that the world and its desires are passing away. This world is passing away. So you say, Tracy, look, I know that I'm weak, but, but honestly, my strength comes from my money. Whenever I'm weak, I can just buy something to make me not feel weak anymore. I can just buy the thing so that I no longer have to feel ashamed of my weakness. Or you say, I know that I'm weak, but, but my strength, it comes from my social status. It comes from the validation that I get on Facebook or, or Instagram. It comes from my friends. I, when I put on that front of being strong, they agree with me and they tell me that I'm strong. So that's where I find my strength. Or you say, my strength, I, I know that I'm weak, but, but all I need is a, a getaway. All I need is a vacation, and after that vacation, I'll be good. I just need a week in Panama, or I need, a, I need a week in Hawaii, and I'll be all right. What you're doing is you're looking for, for strength from a weak and dying world. Or you say, Tracy, look, I, I understand that I, that I need help, right, that I, that I need healing, but I can heal myself. I just have to be resilient, all I have to do is push through, grab myself by the bootstraps and pull myself up. If I just push through and am resilient, then I can find my healing. I can do this all by myself. Or you say, I just, I just need sex. If, if I, if when, I, when, I, when I have sex with my other partners, that's where I get my healing from. This is where I can find healing is in sex, or, or I can find healing in porn, or I can find healing in drugs. What you're doing is you're looking for healing from a sick and dying world. You're just like SpongeBob. We're looking for the right thing in the wrong place. We're looking for living water in a place that's void of it. I'm reminded of Isaiah 55 too. In Isaiah 55 too, it says, why do you spend silver on what is not food? And your wages on what does not satisfy. Listen, don't waste your time and your money trying to find and buy things that will never satisfy. Instead, do what? It says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Eat what is good. So you say, Tracy, okay, I, I, I realize that I've tried to place my hope in this world and I continue to place my hope in this world and I'm empty. I don't know what to do. Where do I look? Well, the end of that sentence, right? My, my second point, the end of that sentence is don't look for the living among the dead. Instead, look for the resurrected Jesus. Don't look for the living among the dead. Instead, look for the resurrected Jesus. Jesus. Now, let's go back to Luke 24, specifically focusing on verse 7, right? Up to this point, the women just got to the tomb. They see those angels, and then the angels say to them, don't look for the living among the dead. Don't you remember what Jesus told you? And then in verse 7, we have what Jesus said. In verse 7, it says, it is necessary. Now, let's stop right there. This word necessary, this word necessary, the, the Greek word used here is deo, which means bound to, or, or tied to. So Jesus is saying that his death is something that he's bound to, that he's tied to. And, and, and remember, Jesus on the cross, he's bound to that cross. He's tied to that cross. But why? 
Well, I think about Romans 6.23, and in in Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. You see, when we obey the impulses of sin, right, when we look for the living among the dead, what we are doing is we are storing up for ourselves the reward for sin. We are storing up for ourselves the reward for sin, which is death. But thank God that Jesus, who is Lord, steps in and says, no, I'll pay for that with my death. You've been working in sin, and, and, and because you've been working in sin, you, you, you'll get a paycheck, right? Nobody here is going to go work and doesn't expect a paycheck. You want to be paid, right? Well, as you're working in sin, that paycheck is death. But Jesus steps in and says, no, I'll take that for you. Even though you worked in it, I'll take it for you. Right? I'm going to take on that death for you. And even though Jesus says that he's tied to this, that he's bound to this. He doesn't do this begrudgingly. He doesn't do this mad at you that he has to do. Oh, these dummies, they, I got to go do this. No, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't think like that. He doesn't feel that way, right? Because we look at Hebrews 12 too, and it says that he goes with the joy that is set before him. Jesus has joy as he is going to the cross. And, and the reason that he has joy is because he knows what his death will accomplish. He knows that his death accomplishes reconciliation between us and the Father. And that is Jesus' joy. That is the joy that is set before him. Okay, so let's go back to verse 7. It says that it's necessary that the Son of Man, stop right there. Okay, Son of Man. Do you know where the image that would have been pulled up in, in the Jews in this time, do you know what the image that would have been pulled up when Jesus called himself the Son of Man? Because he did it often. What would have been pulled up in their mind is uh, from Daniel 7. Okay, so let's look at what Daniel 7 says. Daniel 7, verses 11 through 14. It says, I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast... Their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, when Jesus consistently called himself the Son of Man, this is what the people of this time would have been thinking about. Oh, this is Jesus? Jesus is saying that he's the Son of Man? Well, that means the beast is about to die, right? And the beast at this time would have been the Roman government. Oh, oh, this is the Son of Man? That means his dominion is coming, right? That means his dominion that's everlasting is coming. His kingdom that won't be destroyed is coming. Right. This is be the image that they had when Jesus called himself the son of man. Now, let's take that, put it in our back pocket and keep reading. Okay, continuing in verse seven of Luke 24, it says it's necessary that the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. Now, listen, when it says sinful men here, don't take yourself out of this text. Don't take yourself out of this text. We're right here. You want to know where you are in this text? It's right here. Sinful men. This sinful men is not just the people who turned Jesus over to Pilate and the people who were yelling crucify him. This is sinful men from past, present, and future. This is us. It's just as much us 
as it was them. Okay? And in his betrayal, he's crucified, and then he rises on the third day. And then look what happens next. Verse 8, it says, and they remembered his words. Seeing that Jesus had resurrected, it reinterpreted everything that came before, and they remembered his words. And then as we continue reading in verses 9 through 12, it says, Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloth, so he went away amazed at what had happened. Notice what Peter does here. Pay attention to what Peter does here. In verse 11, it says, the words that these women spoke to them seemed like nonsense to them. And why wouldn't it? Right? From Peter's perspective, just three days earlier, he had his hope in Christ. And then he denied Jesus three times. And then what happens? Jesus is crucified. Right? And then Peter is is also not only a part of a religion, but he is also a part of a community, right? These apostles who are around him, the disciples, don't believe that Jesus is going to resurrect. They don't believe that, that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And not only that, but this same religion, these, these same friends, the disciples, also, when they hear the Son of Man, they think about Daniel 7. They think about the Daniel 7 son of man who, where the beast dies and his dominion is everlasting and his kingdom is not destroyed. But you look at Jesus and you say, well, his dominion is not everlasting. He just died. Kingdom. I never saw Jesus' kingdom. But if he had one, it had to have been destroyed now that he's dead. Right? And yet, what does Peter do? In light of all of that, what does Peter do? He not only goes to look, but he runs. With urgency, he runs to see an empty tomb because Jesus' resurrection reinterprets everything that came before and changes everything that happens after. Eventually, the, the disciples begin to understand that Jesus is the Son of Man who came not as a powerful king, but as a sacrificial lamb. That Jesus is the Son of Man who came not to overthrow government rule, but to redeem the world to the Father. That Jesus is the Son of Man who came not to condemn us, but to free, forgive, and save us. You see, Jesus is the strength for the weak. Jesus is the doctor who can heal the sick. Jesus is the Savior for those who realize they need saving. Jesus is Lord. We were in Isaiah 55 earlier, and that's where I want to end our time in verse 1. In verse 1 of Isaiah 55, it says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. At the end of the episode um, that I mentioned earlier about SpongeBob, Sandy comes over to SpongeBob and Patrick, and uh, she's... (laughs) I was going to do her voice. Now, if you've never seen the show, Sandy's from Texas. She has like a country voice. I was going to do it. I'm not going to, okay? Sandy comes over to, to SpongeBob and, practice, to, and Patrick, and she says, if y'all needed water, you should have asked. If y'all needed water, you should have asked. And that's the exact way that Jesus approaches us. Jesus comes to us when, when we see that we're weak, 
When we see that we're sick in need of healing, when we realize that we're lost and we need a Savior, Jesus comes to us and says, come to me. Come to me. He says, come, everyone who is thirsty. Come to the water. 